I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. I think a lot of people have some version of this story. There's somebody that we know, there's somebody that we love, somebody that maybe we've known for a very long time, or somebody that we've only recently gotten to know. But there are people in our lives that we know that we want to share the faith with. Sometimes they're people from church, sometimes they're people from work. Occasionally, they're just random strangers that we somehow bump into in life. And, well, one thing leads to another, and we might have opportunities to share what we believe, why we believe it, how it's changed our lives. How we go about sharing that faith with those people, strangers, loved ones, friends, acquaintances, people that live across the street, the person you bumped into in the grocery store, whatever it happens to be, how we go about sharing that faith. Not just the why, not even just the what, but how. And there's a bigger question to ask, and it's, how can I be ready to do that? Do I just need to study a bunch of theology, have a handful of theology, apologetics, bioethics, moral theology, historical theology, systematic theology, textbooks at the ready? Do I need to watch a bunch of YouTube videos or listen to a few podcasts or tune into daily Catholic radio, whatever it happens to be? How can I be prepared to do that? What do I need to say? What's the tone of voice that I need to take? But I think there's an even bigger question that we need to dig into first, and that is, what should the disposition of my heart be? How should I pray through talking about heavy topics, hard topics, difficult topics, whether in a professional capacity, maybe on a radio, maybe on a podcast, maybe just in conversation with a friend or a loved one? We sat down with Gloria Purvis, and and Gloria has worked in Catholic media for years, so she can talk about this from a professional perspective all day long. She's hosted radio shows, she has a podcast, she's traveled and spoken, she sits on a bunch of boards. She's an incredibly well-traveled, hard-working woman. And in the life of the church, her voice resounds loudly. She has things to say, and she's not afraid to say them. And I wanted to talk with Gloria about, well, how does she prepare to do that? to have those big conversations on those tough topics, and sometimes even the menial topics? What does it look like to know this is what I'm convicted to say? And how does one really build a disposition and a thick skin to be able to say those things that sometimes people disagree with or don't understand or push back on? When sharing the faith is challenging, how can we be prepared to share it well? Gloria sat down with us and shared some incredible insight, both from her professional life and from her personal life. You can listen to her podcast, by the way, the Gloria Purvis podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's excellent. She digs into some of the most relevant, hard-hitting topics in church life today, and I think you'd really enjoy it. I also think you'd enjoy all the stuff that we're creating for this Ave Explorer series on sharing the faith. If you click on over to our website, AveMariaPress.com, you'll be able to find everything that you need, the podcasts, videos, articles, other conversations that we're having. Just sign up for a free weekly email right to your inbox, and you'll be able to get everything that we've created just for you. So right now, I want you to sit back and enjoy this conversation with Gloria Purvis. Gloria Purvis, welcome to Ave Explorers. Thanks, Kate. I'm glad to be with you. So, Gloria, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and uh, what you do. I know that's a huge question. <laughs> yeah, I know that's, that's how we always kick you things know, off. I'm really just a, a fellow traveler trying to struggle through this life and make it to heaven, trying to live according to what I say I believe and be okay with the consequences. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't, that the struggle? Isn't that the struggle? 
But um, no, so I, you know, I'm a full-time stay-at-home mom. I also do a podcast. I host a podcast called the Glory of Purpose Podcast, or really try to talk about things that intersect with the church and the world. And I also, for some reason, end up talking about all these issues about the dignity of the human person in various forms of media. And just, yeah, I'm just somebody trying to make it through. I want to get to heaven. Let me just tell you and remind myself that that is the end goal in life and loving the Lord as best as I can and all my brokenness, really. So I hope that's a decent enough sort of thing about me. So my joke is always if I bumped into you on an elevator and we had 30 seconds together, like what would I learn? And I would follow you (laughs) off the elevator and say, we've got to keep this conversation going because now I'm fascinated. (laughs) Yeah. We've had you on the show before. We had you on a a series of the saints, actually. And you told your conversion story and it's so good. It's such a good conversion story. Oh, it's. It's fascinating. Yeah. You were a child who like bucked the family norms <laughs> yeah. and became Catholic. And that's, I have thought about that story many times, even though I did the interview, I have thought about that story many times. And I would be honored if you would share with us a little bit of your conversion story. <laughs> okay. again. Uh, you know, I'm a Southerner from Charleston, South Carolina, very small part of the population at the time, still small, really is Catholic, even smaller numbers, black Catholic, And at the time when I was going to elementary school in Charleston, there were just some schools that were all black and Catholic and some schools are all white, mostly all white, few, one or two all black. So I went to one of the all black Catholic schools on the peninsula in Charleston because my non-Catholic parents said Catholics know how to educate. Long story short, I ended up going to adoration as a part of a, I guess it was kind of a punishment because we've been misbehaving. And so the principal who was our religious education, I know well, the, the, the principal who was our religious education teacher as well, and a religious sister, she went to talk to Jesus so she wouldn't kill us. That's how mad she was. I mean, she was like, Ooh. <laughs> so while we were in there sitting quietly and contemplating if we would live much longer because she was so mad in that quietness during adoration, sitting down in the crypt church of the cathedral. I was, for lack of a better, I don't know how to describe it other than to say I was consumed by fire. Like I knew I was on fire, like fully engulfed in flames, but it didn't hurt. I can't describe, other than to say it didn't hurt. And at the same moment of being engulfed in these flames and realizing I'm on fire, but not hurting, I had the immediate sort of knowledge that what was in the mantras was real and alive. and. um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that, even though I was 12 years, so long ago. And then a couple of days later, Sister Carmelita came back to my religion class and said she had to get the Catholics ready for confirmation. And I went up to her and said, Sister, I think I'm supposed to be a Catholic. And she was like, go home and ask your parents. You cannot just. So, But I didn't do that. I went <laughs> home and I informed my parents that I was becoming a Catholic. And so at 12 years old, I converted to Catholicism, went to mass by myself, practiced the faith pretty much in a non-Catholic household. So yeah, that was just, yeah. Wow. So this whole series is on evangelization. And I love that your story was Catholic schools around Catholics encounter the Eucharist are completely changed. How did that affect your family? Can I ask that question? Yeah, yeah. Mom and dad obviously must have been inspired in some way. They just said, I mean, I remember when I said that my dad was looking at like, what is she talking about? My mom's like, oh, you're going to be a Catholic? Okay. You're going to go to mass on Sundays, holy days of obligation. You're going to pray the rosary. You're not going to eat meat. And I was like, okay. And so that's what it was. 
And it's funny because my mom is like, I'm not cooking twice. Nobody's eating meat on Fridays. So a lot of those kinds of things impacted our entire family life. I had a Baptist grandmother. She was very supportive. Well, everybody was supportive of my faith, but I remember my grandmother taking a rosary and putting it, you know, I have those big Southern four poster beds. She put the rosary around like one of the, I don't know if you call it the leg or whatever it is, the one that goes upward, not the one that goes down to the floor. She put it, the rosary there to let me know it's okay to pray the rosary. And it was right next to where she had a little nightstand with the Bible on it. Cause you know, Bibles, Baptist, Southerner, come on. So she was just letting me know that, you know, this is okay. I want you to see that all of these things are okay. And she was the one actually that taught me like some Catholic devotions. Cause I had no Catholic, you know, didn't know any, nothing. So when we used to drive by a Catholic church, mm-hmm. she would touch me and say, you're supposed to make the sign of the cross. That's what you Catholics do. And wow. um, just things like that. And they were always very encouraging of Catholic practices, like, and not shy about it, like bringing holy water into the house, things like that. And I also think now of the sacrifice my mother made because she was very, very active in her Methodist church. She played the organ. I used to be an altar server in the Methodist church. I remember preparing to say Easter speeches. And I could imagine going to church with all her daughters except me and people like, where's Gloria? She's like, Gloria will not be coming back. She's a Catholic now. And, you know, people like... (laughs) Then she played the organ. Then yeah, she do the shocked. books. How is she going to have a kid that is now a Catholic? And I can imagine maybe the whispering that would have gone on behind her back. But you know what? My mom never, ever, 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 ever showed any upsetness or that somehow my decision inconvenienced her or hurt her reputation. Mm. And, you know, I'm only thinking about that now as an adult, as a mother myself and realizing how people can be sometimes. She just never, ever, ever expressed that or anything. So it's just completely supportive of my faith. My father, too, sisters, all, everybody. And then eventually all the children converted. So (laughs) my parents ended up being (laughs) non-Catholics. And, you know, I remember when we bought a different house, we bought a new house one time, moved from one house to another. You know, we went through the house, loved it. And then I think my parents were like, okay, we've already, we're unpacked. It's all good. And we're like, wait, 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 we're, we can't sleep here. And they were like, what are you talking about? And we said, this house has not been blessed by a priest. So we will not be closing our eyes in this house. <laughs> <laughs> Got to take care of it. So they were like, are y'all kidding? And we, we were like, no, we're serious. So they called up the parish priest, Father Figaro, God bless his soul. I love him. Oh, I loved him. He came through and basically blessed the house. And my parents walked around behind us as you're sprinkling holy water, saying all the prayers. And we were saying the prayers. And so I think my parents were just like, okay, our children are Catholic. And then I found out much later that they learned, had learned how to pray the rosary from hearing us pray it so often. Mm. Wow. (laughs) I love that. I love that story. It's almost like reverse event. You always hear about parents converting the family, but a 12 year old coming home and and saying, I'm Catholic now, like you guys got to get on board. You know, I I, Katie, I think about it now and I have to tell you, I didn't, I don't know. I don't think because I was 12, I didn't think about, could there be any pushback from my family? I just knew that's what I was going to do. And I just was going to tell them and that's it. (laughs) So they were good about it. Yeah. So 12 years old becomes Catholic, Mm -hmm. go off to college. How did you end up in And I feel like this is the million-dollar question. People will often ask people in Catholic media, of which we are both in, how'd you end up there? Like, did you get a degree? God, 
it's all God. My career was in girl financial risk management. I dealt with derivatives, mortgage-backed securities, all that kind of stuff, counterparty risk, credit risk, derivative risk management, all that. And so it was really God because I had no desire, intention, plan, or thought of ever doing media. Just eh, that it just was not on my list of things. It wasn't even in my purview of possibilities. I just never considered it. So it's really God. And I think it was when I said completely like, yes, Lord, I will, I will follow you. And he just, all these opportunities started happening small first, right? So like uh, the mm -hmm. speaking at the parish, organizing things at the parish and getting into really heavy stuff in the parish. You know, we created the young adult group, which blossomed. I mean, it really grew. Uh, my husband and I decided to get involved in young adult ministry. I think there were like two or three people and we grew it to over a hundred people in our parish. And wow. um yeah, working with other young Catholics and dealing with the issues people were discussing, you know, the church is teaching on contraception, abortion, the death penalty, condoms and HIV and AIDS. And always, of course, understanding and believing what the church taught, being willing to enter into these conversations with other young people who we considered friends and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, people didn't like it, <laughs> you know? but we are Catholic. This is the faith you profess as well. Shouldn't mm -hmm. we at least try to examine why the church is saying this? And let's talk about that. Is it reasonable what they're saying? Do we understand it? Those kinds of things. And yeah, we even talked about racism. This is way before much of it, you know, hit the national scene uh, in the last year and a half, two years, is it? And we were in a multiracial, like the parish was a historically black parish, but our young adult group was multiracial. It was the church. Mm -hmm. Our young adult group was a Catholic church. Okay. <laughs> Very diverse. And so we talked about all those things among, with each other, because I think we were young. And I also think we were friends. I mean, we really did a lot of things mm -hmm. together. And so I think that also gave us a lot of sensitivity in talking about it and also boldness, to be honest. So. Mm -hmm. So there were a couple of things in there that struck me. The first was that ministry begins organically. A lot of people, I think, assume that people in like professional ministry capacities, they've got fellowships or they've got podcasts or somebody yeah. pays them to talk about Jesus. There's an assumption of, okay, well, I set out with this career in mind and it works yeah. the best when it's organic, when like the Lord actually yeah. provides the path. But I want to go back to what you just said, these topics that you just listed off that y'all talked about in young adult ministry. People might be hearing this and thinking, wait, I, I want to have yeah. those conversations in my parish and can I be the person that starts to facilitate them? How did y'all go about sharing the faith on those hard topics or like even you don't have to necessarily say like how y'all did it but how could people do that because there are let's yeah. take racism for example it's a topic that needs to be dug sure. into from a catholic perspective and a lot of people hesitate oh i don't want to offend anybody yeah. oh i don't want to say the wrong thing oh i don't know what i'm talking about i'm not the right person yeah. whatever the topic <laughs> might be people are scared to dig into it what's your encouragement there what are some practical tips relationship if you're talking about a ministry in your parish my gosh we had relationships with everybody in the group. And how do we build those relationships from our meetings, from fellowshipping after the meeting? We plan the annual parish picnic. And so we were like, we're the young people. We can plan this. We have the energy, the time. And so doing a project together, believe it or not, brings out a lot. We learn to argue too. We would go out together. We would have parties together, like unrelated to parish ministry. Like somebody threw me a surprise birthday party mm -hmm. and I showed up surprised and everybody was there. We just jammed all night. 
you know, we had real, authentic, intimate friendships, and we argued like family. You know, honestly, I remember one time we had gone out to dinner, like it was a table of 30 of us at this restaurant. And one guy was grousing about the church's position where men who are ordained already cannot be married. And so we had a literal two-hour conversation that the entire restaurant was listening. The chef, we didn't realize because we were so involved <laughs> that the chef sent the right. server out to tell us his point of view. Girl, it was crazy. But it was just I like we that. had a very close relationship. And of course, the women, young women, we were like, we are not your car ornament. We don't exist just to help you deal with the stresses of you know, being ordained. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. was not a priest. He had left seminary, but that was one of his chief complaints, right? But he, the way he was explaining it or talking about it made all of us as women just feel like our only purpose was to make sure his life as a priest was easy. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we got needs too. We have desires too. You know, come on now. So anyhow, that was like an interesting sort of thing. But, and also some of us lived it. I mean, we had people in our group who were openly gay and openly HIV positive. And so we talked about that Mm -hmm. and we talked about what does the church teach and all those kinds of things. And I think it also helped people understand the difference between loving a person and not necessarily like in their behavior. Mm -hmm. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that could be such a nuanced thing for people, but we had authentic friendships. I guess they didn't think, or they knew that we did not hate them, Mm -hmm. but we also didn't ostracize them. Right. So you are fully in the fold with us and you're going to come as you and we love you. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. that's that's a hard, a hard talk. Now, in terms of racism. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that. Well, here's the interesting thing. Because of the parish we went to, a lot of the white people that came there were ready and okay being immersed in a community that's predominantly people of color. So they came with some Mm -hmm. sensitivities already. And so the conversations on racism, they never felt attacked. They understood it and gave their perspective and experience as white people having witnessed racism or been privy to conversations that were racist and the challenges it presented to Mm -hmm. them and how to respond to it and friendships lost and family relationships (laughs) being damaged and, you know, those kinds of things. So everyone had something to share but we all understood the gravity and ugliness of the sin, you know, so. Mm -hmm. This episode of Ave Explores is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app for prayer, meditation, music, and more. Hallow is an amazing resource for any Christian looking to dive deeper into their prayer life, finding more peace, and ultimately grow closer to God. Hallow features daily rosaries, Lexio Divina, examines, Playlists for calm and humility, minute meditations for brief moments with God throughout your day, and Bible stories read by some of your favorite Catholic speakers like Father Mike Schmitz, Jonathan Rumi, Dr. Scott Hahn, and even me, yours truly. Don't just take my word for it. Here's a quote from one of the Hallow users. This app has been an answer for my weary soul. Tears pour as I try to impress on you how deeply I'm impacted by the guidance into simply being with God. This is where my soul is finding peace for the very first time. Deepen your relationship with God with one of Hallow's more than 3,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations by downloading Hallow at hallow.com slash Ave Explores. 
this idea of relationships being where evangelization starts. I mean, a lot of people would say evangelization begins in one's heart, right? Like I need to yes. pray through what I want to talk about, but then there's got to be somebody yeah. to talk to. And I, I can evangelize to perfect strangers. I mean, that's right. what the internet is sometimes, but it's a lot more fruitful in relationship with people that I know, with children that I'm raising, with the friend that Girl. I see at the PTC meeting. <laughs> yeah. I guess the challenge is we live in a world that is, I mean, COVID did a lot of this, yeah. disconnected us. But then in a world where we immediately snap judge somebody or we just automatically assume, oh, I know their perspective entirely. I know what political party they're affiliated with. I know what version of Catholic they are. And we see a lot of this play out in digital spaces, yeah. right? And as people in Catholic media, sometimes we have this privileged position of getting to kind of watch it play out. And yeah, sometimes we get to be the conversation drivers. Like we can throw a tweet out there and start the discourse for the day. Yeah. Sometimes we just kind of sit back and watch it play out. How do we navigate that space? Well, I guess it's two questions. How do you navigate that space hmm. in a position of Catholic media? How do you figure out, okay, yeah, I'm going to talk about that. No, I'm going to leave that one to the side. How do you navigate that weird world of trying to build relationships and still talk about hard stuff and good stuff and hmm. share the gospel? I, I know that's kind of a big tent question, but I'm just curious. I guess I just think about if there's something I find interesting, I talk about it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my thing. I have uh, something I find interesting. I talk about it. I don't really, you know, I don't intentionally try to talk about hard stuff, but if something comes up around an issue that might be difficult, right? Whether it's in person or digital, like if I understand what the church teaches about it, or I want to ask somebody, but what does not any other, I just talk about it. I don't have, because I'm not coming from a place of, I want to dunk on you. You know what I mean? Or Mm -hmm. a place of, I just find certain things interesting. Maybe, you know, let's tweet about it. What do y'all think? Or, yeah. or I see somebody else has tweeted something that I think is interesting. I'm going to like it or retweet it. Cause I'm like, this is, so for example, you gave a very, I girl, your tweet was on time where you talked about basically your experience when you were pregnant and worked for the church. And it was not a positive, supportive response to your pregnancy. And by tweeting about that, you're helping us, I think, as the people of God get better. Why? Because you're saying, hey, we have these values. Are we living it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we as the institutional church living it? Yeah. And it's the right thing because sometimes we have blinders about our own uprightness. Mm-hmm. And for you to have done that, I thought was because, first of all, when you did it, you weren't nasty at all, Katie. You were just mm-hmm. like, these are the facts of what happened to me, period. You weren't like, oh, over there was just mm-hmm. a fire-breathing dragon, hateful. <laughs> you didn't do that. <laughs> it was you, you were just showing, saying, this is what happened to me. And how do we reconcile this with what we believe about marriage? About, you know, because I thought about a lot of things. You said, what, how does this reconcile what we say about marriage, family life, sex, children, women? Because mm-hmm. it's sure a big fail looking like to me. Mm-hmm. And I hope when you share that really makes people think, really makes people grapple with, well, this is what I say, I believe. What implications does that have for my life and how I behave? And the church, the institutional church in the United States, all these dioceses need to be asking themselves, how does what we say get reflected in how we operate? Mm -hmm. How do we treat people who are families? You know, they're trying to build their domestic church. How do our policies, practices, and expectations support that? or undermine that. And then what does that say about how deeply we really believe it? You know, it's interesting. So I think you and I are on the same page of 
deep thinking about the stuff that we see. Sometimes it's just a picture of my kid. And sometimes it's like, <laughs> uh, so sweet too. and they're good. Yeah. Like I would rather the, the airwaves of Twitter and Facebook be filled <laughs> with cute children. But sometimes yeah. it's like, you know yeah. what? Like there is something that we need to dig into. This is the truth that needs to be articulated. And it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. You said nasty, right? Like sometimes people come mm-hmm. off as very nasty. Sometimes evangelization comes off agenda driven. I've always found the way you navigate the space to be very inspiring in that Me? there are. Oh, absolutely. Oh. I'm going to compliment oh. you. There are people that like oh, you clearly you. disagree <laughs> with, but you're never cruel about the disagreement. And there's people that like you are obviously educating in a gentle and motherly way, like truly, like I find it to be a motherly way of of dealing with some of these big topics. I'm curious where prayer factors in. And this is a general thing, not just for you, Mm. but evangelization Mm. can't happen just from our heads. It has to really start in the heart. How does that look in your life? Yeah. I mean, I talk to God a lot. (laughs) <laughs> during the good things, during the bad things. And it's not always, you know, people think it has to be a formulaic sort of thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But I might be washing the dishes and thinking about something and be talking to God about it. And he's everywhere. So and if something strikes me in the moment, I'm thinking about it. I'll talk to God about it. And sometimes I realize in those conversations that I'm having with him, a large part of it, too, I need to sit and be quiet and see how what is he moving in me? Is he saying anything to me? Is he you know, how is he choosing to respond to this? And sometimes the response is not immediate. Sometimes the response is that I want you to just bear this cross. You just Mm got to carry this one. And okay. Okay. And so I have to pray for the grace to do his will and not mine. And so there's that constant thing that you need to do. And I always, before I do public speaking, I always pray, Mm. always pray because I, I understand that we do have an enemy and I understand that I also have a brokenness, right? And so I pray that God's words would come out of my mouth. And that does require some trust. Some people are like, you're crazy. How could mm-hmm. you do that in front of 5,000 people with no notes? And I was like, because I'm willing to be made a fool of for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to go up there and he not give me anything. I'm like, well, this is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, But this is just over years. But yeah, prayer has to be fundamental. I don't think you can really go out and do evangelization unmoored from a relationship with God, Mm. then you're not really serving him. You're doing something else. And that's dangerous, actually. That's very dangerous. So I definitely, prayer has got to factor into your life. Your relationship with God has got to be, it's just got to be real, Mm -hmm. you know? That's the other thing, Katie. People romanticize that as if, you know, we're perfectly with our eyes closed and our hands together and on our knees and this is... Look, sometimes I'm on the toilet and I'm talking to God. Okay. <laughs> it's just you, like that. First. <laughs> you know, I'm just telling you, but I'm not saying that I don't have when I can like quiet time and mm-hmm. adoration or time before right, master. The formal. Right. I'm not saying I don't have that. I do. But I'm also saying that I'm not killing myself or beating myself up because my prayer life doesn't appear like some, you know, if there was a Hallmark book on prayer, you know what I mean? It's not always, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sometimes I'm crying. Sometimes I'm yelling, you know, but I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, help me or why, you know? And sometimes it's in the middle of the night when you wake up stressed and anxiety and, you know, you're just like, Lord, deliver me. And I remember one time I was having an awful, Mm -hmm. awful night. And I woke up and just actually cried out to the blessed mother. I just said, could you please please cuddle me and 
have me at your breast, like the baby Jesus suckling and girl, the stuff Mm -hmm. that just lifted off me and the peace Mm. that I had from that moment. I really felt like she did take me to her breast and nuzzle me and rock me. And the kind of peace that I felt Mm -hmm. from that just, yeah. So yeah, prayer is important. If if I didn't say it enough, (laughs) it is important. And it's, it's just lifting your mind to God Mm -hmm. and then being quiet and hearing what he has to say in response. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, look look at the great evangelist, right? Thomas Aquinas spent how many hours a day in the chapel Uh, and we get the summa, right? The the priests that you and I know very well that (laughs) that do the good work of the Lord are not just talking heads, but they're they're men on their knees. Father Josh and I had a very long conversation one time about how he was so distressed about how few people in parishes could name a time when they'd actually seen their pastor praying. Like, yeah, I see him at mass. Yes, I see him at the school, like, you know, saying good morning to the children. But like, when's the last time I walked into the adoration chapel and I saw Father so-and-so on his knees? And like, sure, sometimes it might be a scheduling thing, but a lot of times it's a, well, I know Father does this, but do I actually know that he prays? And I think the same would be true of anybody in a formal evangelization perspective and anybody in a pew that just wants to talk about Jesus. And that's kind of the, the final question. A lot of people listening to this are not like you and I in formal media spots with podcasts and with radio shows. They are people in the pews who listen to podcasts and radio shows who love Jesus and want to tell people about their relationship with him. Our question for all of our guests who are, I would say, expert evangelists. Huh? What's right. And every single person's had their reaction like, oh, come on. But like, that's that's how you know you are one (laughs) is how does a person begin? And I think you kind of answered it before, but I love Jesus. He's changed my life. I want to share him with other people. Do I need a podcast? Do I need a blog? How do I start talking to somebody? What's step one? to share my faith in authentic ways? Well, honestly, talk with the person he puts there in front of you, whoever that is. I would say you definitely have to ask him, right? You have to ask him, Lord, is this how you want me to serve you? And he then makes it clear. He does. He makes those things happen. But to understand that evangelization is to whatever human person God puts in front of you. Mm. You know, sometimes people think they have to, oh, if I'm not speaking to 5,000 people, then I'm not really evangelizing. Guess what? That's a temptation from the enemy. Mm -hmm. You know, do what God puts right in front of you, no matter how small it is. And sometimes evangelization happens also without saying a word. Imagine what it is in family life to do what needs to be done for the love of your spouse and your children or your parents or your siblings. Believe it or not, that is also a way of evangelizing. Mm-hmm. When we take on our obligations or responsibilities that we may not want to do, but we take them on anyway because we're like, well, this is for the good of my child that I'm going to make her bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because she can have an orderly room. Now, I'm not saying, hey, moms, dads, out there, I'm not saying, hey, if you let the bed go a day or two or whatever, that you're a horrible parent. I'm just giving that as an example. <laughs> we all do what we got to do. Okay, dust bunnies are allowed. Let me just say, <laughs> Good. You, know, you know what it is. You have little ones, honey. So you know the chaos sometimes oh, yeah. can happen. <laughs> so I, so don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just giving an example of sometimes that gift of ourself in a mm. sacrificial way is a form of evangelizing, although we've not even said a word. I love that. Start with who's right in front of you. Gloria, where can we follow you? What's the name of your podcast? And and how can we learn all of your awesome things? Oh, you're so, Katie, girl, you're so kind. Um, My podcast is called the Gloria Purvis Podcast. It's found anywhere that podcasts are played. You can follow me on Twitter at Gloria 
underscore Purvis. I'm also on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. So they can follow me there. And I'm also on Facebook, but I didn't do like a personality page. My page is open to everybody on Facebook. So <laughs> it's great. Come it's follow great. me there. <laughs> we will link all of it in the show notes. Gloria, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate oh, it. Katie. Oh, it's a pleasure always to talk to you. And thank you for the invitation. Let's do it again sometime. Oh, soon. for sure. Gloria and I have a mutual friend, Father Josh Johnson, and he's come on our show before in the past. And, and we've talked about this, how sharing hard things, especially when it comes to sharing difficult, challenging things in the life of the church, how sharing those hard things requires relationship. And not just a relationship with the person you're sharing it with, but a relationship with Christ first. And I think, you know, that's been a, a happy accident of all of the conversations we've been having in this season on sharing the faith. How when we share the faith, we do it well when we first have a relationship with Jesus. Because then I'm sharing from a place of what I know, who I know, not just what, but who, and how I know him, and how he loves me, and how I can give witness to that in the world. And while that's not always easy, and sometimes the topics can be challenging and hard, while occasionally you might get pushback, either from different people, whether they disagree with you or they just don't like you. Occasionally it's done in a formal capacity, sometimes on an internet website, occasionally, and probably most frequently, in relationship with people that you know. The value, of course, coming from the fact that we're willing to share the truth, the truth that's changed our lives. You can find all of the stuff that we are talking about when it comes to sharing this truth on our Ave Explorers page over on the Ave Maria Press website. And you can find not only this series on sharing the faith, but all the other series that we've created where we've shared the faith on all sorts of topics. How to talk about tough stuff, bioethics and morality. How to dig into what it looks like to live a life of social justice and really focus on putting our faith into action. Who is Mary? Why does she matter? Who are the saints? Why do they matter? How can I live a robust Catholic family life? All sorts of different topics that we've dug into. You can find all of that over at AveMariaPress.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd give it a rating and a review. And of course, subscribe, because we've got a whole lot more coming, not just in this season on sharing the faith, but all of the great things that we're creating just for you for Ave Explorers, including a fun Advent series based off of the brand new book from Father John Burns, Adore, an Advent companion filled with incredible art from Valerie Delgado. And you'll find all of that in the Adore book. You can find that on the Ave Maria Press website as well. Use code ADORE for a discount. And then you'll be able to follow along on this podcast as we dig into those topics week to week during our special Advent series. So subscribe so you don't miss any of that. We'll be back next time with an awesome conversation about sharing the faith and Vatican II. You're going to want to stick around for that conversation. We're so happy that you joined us today. Thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you soon. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.